0: Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Gensel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Today's guest is screenwriter and director Menno Meyers, best known for his collaboration with Steven Spielberg in the 1980s. Menno was born in the Netherlands, but moved to the United States in 1972 to study at the San Francisco Art Institute. After writing a script for one of the best-known episodes of Spielberg's Amazing Stories TV series, The Mission, starring a young Kevin Costner and directed by Spielberg himself, Menno received an Academy Award nomination for his adaptation of Alice Walker's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel The Color Purple, as directed by Spielberg. As a screenwriter, he also worked on films like Franklin Schaffner's Lionheart, Russell Mulcahy's Ricochet, and Edward Swick's The Siege. After The Color Purple, Menno was brought in to work on the third Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, taking over from writer Chris Columbus, whose Monkey King script had been rejected. In our conversation, Menno talks about his collaboration with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and how elements like The Search for the Holy Grail and Indy's Father were introduced. He also discusses some of the other films he's worked on, including his directorial debut Max, an independent gem starring John Cusack as a Jewish art dealer based in Munich who, shortly after World War I, encounters a young, struggling painter named Adolf Hitler, whose anger and disillusionment is slowly finding other, more harmful outlets. Menno also talks about his work on Manolito, a biopic starring Adrian Brody as the popular Spanish bullfighter. And he discusses his more recent move back to the Netherlands to direct independent films like The Dinner and The Reunion. If you enjoy my conversation with Menno Mayes, please visit TalkingPicturesPodcast.com to check out more interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So without any further ado, here is Menno Mayes recalling how he came on board of Indiana Jones and the last crusade
1: i have to say it's a long time ago and the other thing is that you know if you remember the 80s mm-hmm. you weren't there um so uh you know i what i i i do remember that you know i was working with Stephen a lot um at that moment and I, and i think he said can you, you know, can you go to San Francisco and, and, and talk to, to George and, you know, sort of see what's, what he's got? I don't, you know, I don't want to do the Monkey King. Um, why don't you guys kind of talk and, and, you know, see what you, if you can come up with anything, with something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I went up to San Francisco and, and, um, and sat down with George.
0: Was the idea of, of the search for the Holy Grail, um, was that already in place when you, when you met with no, George? No, I mean,
1: and, you know, I have to say that maybe George thought of it earlier and some other time, but when I, because I, I you know, just to kind of refresh my memory, I kind of read the Wikipedia page on it. <laughs> okay. And, you know and uh look i mean i my my thinking was the following which was i had the idea of the holy grail because i thought that nothing would ever top the ark of the covenant Mm -hmm. and that to try and and come up with something as spectacular was a dead end because it couldn't be done so i thought We'd make a sideways move, which was the holy grail, which was much more ephemeral. Did it even exist? That kind of thing. And to your point of the architecture of, of Indiana Jones, I learned something very interesting at that moment, because when I said this to George, he said, ah, but Indy would never have that idea because Indy is a materialist. And I thought that's really fascinating um, mm-hmm. because it just shows you how, you know, they understood and especially George, um, in, in that respect, understood the character of Indiana Jones very well and what he would do and what he wouldn't do. So then he said he either needs a girlfriend or a father Mm -hmm. to come up with this idea, but he would never come up with it. So
0: So a a materialist in the sense of that he's searching for something tangible.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and if you look at uh, what had been, what he had been doing previously, that that was all borne out. I mean, you know, he was the kind of, you know, supreme materialist. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, when you see the warehouse at the end of the movie with all the artifacts that have been stored and, and um, collected in a way.
1: Yeah, and I, and, and I I have to say, it really taught me, you know, I I, I really, I just went, wow, that, that's just so interesting that you so understand your kind of, you know, character,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what he wouldn't do.
0: Did you do a lot of research on the Grail?
1: Well, I mean, there, there is, there, there, you know, I, my, my research on the Grail, of course, was a little bit, in the you know, I, at this point, there was a book, I think, um, called The Spear of Destiny, mm-hmm. um, which was some ridiculous sort of book, you know, like uh, it, it was this time of, you know holy blood holy grail you had the sphere of destiny you had that guy who thought that the pyramids were built by um by uh people from outer space eric von daniken or whatever his name was you know and i i remember you know people somebody gave me this book and i kind of flipped through it in as and i thought that you know, to some degree or other it slightly rang true that uh, especially Himmler would have had some interest in mm-hmm. in in the in the in the you know in in the occult. And you know, there are always these stories that they uh, that they had a small department uh that concerned itself with this kind of archaeology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the that's what yeah. they called it. <laughs> yeah. and, whether, and, and whether how much of that is true or uh, mythology or legend. But, you know, I mean, I'm, of course, I'm a dramatist. So I don't, I'm not an academic. It doesn't need to be, <laughs> it doesn't need to be true for me. I just went, oh, well, uh, you know, so there we go. So, in that sense, that's about as much research as, you know, we did.
2: Mm hmm.
0: I was asking also because at the time I think you had already written the screenplay for Lionheart about the children's crusade and that goes back to the same period where many of the grail stories originated.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, I I did that. I researched very much. I'd written that actually quite a few years before and that I, you know, I did proper research on. Yeah, it's always a, and I had been, I also, I, I, you know, I had been to Petra Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a few, about, I think in end of 84, 85, I'd been to Petra. Um, and that, you know, that also made a, you know, I, I thought it was a, a spectacular location.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that in, well, I found very little about the, um, the, the content of the two drafts. Um, what I found is from this book... Um, the, the, the complete making of the Indiana Jones movies, which has a little sidebar in it, um, just a very little synopsis of the, the story in your draft.
1: What does it say?
0: Um, well, let me see. It's four paragraphs. It says, the first draft opens with a battle in Mexico between Indy and Banano, a crazed individual with a whip and a loyal band of gorillas. The object of their dispute is the death mask of Montezuma. Indy manages to throw Banano off a cliff and his gorillas go free. No sooner is he back in the States than Indy has to depart for France to look for his father, who has disappeared while looking for the Holy Grail. With a friend named Maud, he goes to Montsegur, where they meet a nun named Chantal and her relation Delavor, who explains that they had found a map that led Indy's father to Venice. It goes on for a bit, it mentions Petra as well. But I find Montségur very interesting because that ties in with the Cathar legend that they had the Grail in their possession.
1: I, I never started anything with a, a battle in Mexico. Okay. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's completely, I don't know where that must be, maybe some Chris Columbus script or, or, I don't know. No, we, the only thing that Stephen had was he had this idea. And I don't know if we even started with it, but he had this idea that indie, because that, that actually then led to my, later on making a movie about Manolete, mm-hmm. uh, that he had this idea that we'd be on, uh, in Morocco on, uh, uh, on, at a roulette table. And first there would be a hat that was thrown on the roulette table, and then a leather jacket, and then the whip.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and then, you know, Indy was losing badly and then had, I, and then I thought to myself, well, you know, so then what would you do? So he's in Tangier or Marrakesh, and then you would take the boat, you know, you, I don't know, you, you you were a stowaway. If you're totally broke, you're a stowaway. And you go across to Spain and uh, you probably land at Tarifa and then you would hitchhike and then maybe, and the only people that had cars at those days, you know, because Spain was so poor, would be the, the Bullfighters. And then <laughs> I actually started doing um, research on, on, you know, on, on, on Bullfighters. And then years later, I made mm. a movie about, you know, Manoleta with David and Brody. So, um, but I certainly know that we didn't start with a, that um, we, no, we didn't start that way. Okay. I don't know how, we, I, I forgot kind of how we started. I think, I think, you know, I think, you know, I should, I should have a draft somewhere. Mm -hmm. Should look it up. But, you know, the problem with these drafts is that now everything is digital. And then it was just on paper and it actually disappeared. Mm -hmm.
0: The opening, as described in the book, sort of has a James Bond-like quality to it, right? He's on his latest mission. You see him in a situation that hasn't got much to do with the rest of the story. Yeah. Um, So what about the character of Indiana Jones himself? I mean, you have already said that George Lucas said he's he's, um, a materialist. Um, I was wondering, I mean, the the character had pretty much been uh, developed through the first uh, two movies. Um, So what were the guidelines that you had to work with or what was the development that you could sort of do with the character?
1: Well, the great thing, you know, I mean, it was it was fun working with George because we would really actually work together. You know, I, I would drive over to the Lucas Ranch, you know, and we'd sit down and we'd say, OK, what are we going to do kind of today? So I didn't really feel like, you know, had I been alone in my room, then I would have picked up the phone and said, George, can I do this? Can I do that? But, you know, he was very loose, very free with it all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I felt like I was with, you know, certainly the co-creator of it. And I didn't really, you know, other than that very incisive comment about, you know, Indies and Materialists, I can't really feel, you know, it was, let's just let's just get something going and not worry about. You know, it, it, was, it was very loose.
0: So essentially, I think the Indiana Jones stories always start with the mystery, with the myth that they're um, the one thing that, that Indiana Jones is looking for, and then the rest of it sort of is built around that mystery, right?
1: Yeah, I, yeah no, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure if it's as sort of formulaic you know it, it's not like you don't really start these things saying right now we need you know because mm-hmm. the tradition is because at this point only two movies had been made so you know it, it wasn't like i was getting from george now the tradition is at first it has to be this way and then we're going to do we're going to go that way with it mm-hmm. I think we were, you know, we were very much, we were very much uh, for a while pursuing the idea of a, um, of a girlfriend Mm -hmm. before we landed on the father. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I said, I, you know, I was writing a lot of screenplays in in those days and, you know, and the way I kind of write is I kind of just, sit there and kind of go unconscious and I, I mean when i'm when I'm directing my own stuff i go kind of i'm constantly having to read the text because i don't you know it's very different it's, i don't remember what i wrote
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know so because it, it you you kind of go into this kind of almost unconscious state mm-hmm. and then you know um Something comes through you. So it's, it's, it's difficult for me to, to think exactly. I wish I did. I, like I said, I wish I had a draft here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, you know, I mean, at a certain point we, we, we explored the idea of the girlfriend. Stephen wasn't that crazy about it. But we'd go see Stephen. You know, he was like, mm, I don't know. Um, because I think the girlfriend, we, I think that George and I went a bit mad and we had uh, the idea of like the girlfriend was, like, was a nut. <laughs> so Stephen was like, let's not do that. <laughs> You know, that, that, seemed, that seemed a little con- too controversial to him. So, um, so then we, you know, we landed on, we landed on the father and then it was, you know, then, and that's the great thing about working with those guys. You know how you sit around till you go, you play this game, let's cast so-and-so, you have an idea for a movie, and then you start casting it. And you're, you know, when you're talking to your friends. Well, with these guys, they just pick up the phone and actually call Sean Connery.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's sort of the difference between them and everyone else. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that was, a, 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 a certain, at a certain point, it could only have been Sean Connery. There, it wasn't like they went, oh, well, let's, you know should be Paul Newman or, no, it was,
2: I've only
1: been drunk on
2: Mm
0: -hmm. her. But apparently from what I gather in this um, description of the the first draft, which I mean, we know now is not exactly what it was, but, um, and uh, apparently he only meets his father at the end of the story. Um, So it's it's not like the finished movie where he sort of rescues him at, sort of at the midpoint?
1: I think we had this idea that he would, that he would meet him at the, um, at the excavation site. Obviously, it was, um, you know, it was a much better idea to have the father involved. I think we then started working on, you know, on having the father involved earlier. But, you mm-hmm. know, at some point, I went on to other things.
2: hmm
0: so, but how was the 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 father characterized in um, in those early stages of the script?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I think as as um, you know, in a um, a a more uh, sort of jocular adversarial way. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. as as a kind of movie father mm-hmm. you know, who 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 felt. You know, slightly embarrassed by his son. Mm-hmm. You know, his kind of mercenary son. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, obviously, you you want to create something between these two, co- some tension between these two characters.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I look at your movies, you um, very often have uh, relationships between two characters, so very difficult relationships, very complicated. Uh, relationships. Um, so I was, I was wondering if that played into it. I mean, if I look at a film like Max or um, my Martian child, which you didn't write, but still it's, it's your movie. Um, or let it feel like it you,
1: how much I wrote of Martian child.
0: Okay. Well, you don't have a credit. So um, no, I'm not sure. Very
1: difficult. It's very, very difficult. Once you direct, you have to prove that you wrote over 60% of the script.
2: Mhm okay.
1: But um well you know you always try to you 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 always try to get something going between the characters.
2: Mhm.
1: You know, I mean uh resolution is lovely in life, but in movies it's not that great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so you 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 try and um you know, I I once worked with uh, with George Miller, and and he always had the saying, "Drama for nothing." Mm-hmm. So that certain situations are inherently dramatic. So, you know, a a Jewish art dealer and Adolf Hitler, that's drama for nothing. It's an inherently mm-hmm. that's a very controversial idea, or that's a terrible idea, or whatever. But it's not going to leave you cold.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Um,
1: you know, and and, uh, and he always encouraged me to, to make this movie about uh, the bullfighter monolette that George Miller did because he said, you know, it's woman, blood, sand, you know, it's again, it's drama for nothing. And sometimes, I, I mean, a lot of times I look at movies and I just go, yeah, they're trying to make drama, but there's nothing inherently dramatic about the situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not, not everything has to be a dramatic situation. But... It, you know, you 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 do have to, you know, some things are <laughs> more dramatic than others. Mm-hmm. That's why people are always making gangster movies, because it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always an inherently dramatic situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I find with many of your characters that they are often loner figures, there they are, are damaged uh, characters in a way, um, eccentric characters. Um, and that the, the, the stories often revolve a little bit about their identity. As in Max, I mean, this, it, this isn't the Adolf Hitler that we know. Um, it's, it's sort of, is he an artist or is he the person who becomes the Adolf Hitler we know, uh, sort of caught in between?
1: Yes, well, that was what that movie was entirely about. Mm. You know, I mean, that, that movie I researched the shit out of. <laughs> you know, I read everything... <laughs> I could, uh, you know, about Weimar, about you know, uh, about modernism, which you know I I have a, a feeling for anyway. You know, I mean, I I I'm always been very interested in modern art, especially when it was political. You know, I think now modern art has lost its power, of course, because you know it didn't start really as an art movement; it started as a political movement. Mm-hmm. You know, I would think the Kaiser kind of thought of World War I like, on like an overstuffed, very rococo couch, which then, you know, places the kind of Neue type in a moral context. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, something like that. I, you know, th- there, I mean, and, and no one knows... No one knows where uh, Herr Hitler was during those days, between 1918, between the sort of fall uh, of 1918 and the spring of 1919 when he suddenly reemerges. You know, there are people who say that he, you know, I've seen photographs that he was involved in the Munich revolution, he mm. was very much on the left or anything. But I always thought, you know, he was so so identified with being an artist. And, you know, they they he was known as the artist in his regiment. And that was his whole identity. And I thought this was that you know, he could either let go of it or or you know, it was a very misunderstood movie because people always say, Well, it's a what-if movie, which it's not. Mm. It's not a what-if movie. It always was a... Crap artist. He was a. He was a. <laughs> you know, he was a shitty artist in terms of. But he had. You know, he had one idea, which was to turn politics into art. Mm.
0: I guess the "what if" uh, part of the movie is the idea that um, could could there be some sort of influence that would have prevented everything that happened? You know, um, I mean, the the, the John Cusick character is fictional, but. Um, maybe if, if this or that had happened, then maybe it would have gone into another path. That is the kind of what-if question, well, that's I that's what John
1: Cusack tries. Yeah. John Cusack has this intuitive sense. I better, even though this guy's art is not, doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. I mean, he is, doesn't represent anyone like him. So he is trying, but he has some strange intuition about this guy that he better, you know, keep, keep this guy close in in some way mm. but it was never like he was you know Hitler was so contrarian you know everybody was I mean people were uh, exploring uh, modernism in such an aggressive way and he was so and in such an exuberant and dynamic way and he was um, pursuing this kind of very academic thing in a very aggressive way that you know how, how he he, he obviously almost didn't want to uh, join uh, mm. that kind of movement, mm. but I, I, I always am convinced as was, you know, as were uh, some people around him, that he was very aware of the avant-garde, you know, on the left and the right around him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was aware of it because he was so afraid of it. I mean, they were trying to, uh, especially as the movement went on and on, uh, became more and more conservative um, and sort of they tried to shut everything out that didn't adhere to these um, sort of very old and and classic ideals of uh, what art is supposed to be. so I guess he was aware of that, as, as many dictators seem to be, that, um, you know, art can be very subversive. Art can be very influential in its ideas, especially um, art that is not um, in the mainstream.
1: He knew how, I mean, his street theater, his Ajit prop, all of that was very, very good. You know, I mean, not a lot of people changed the iconography around of a country. Mm. Of course, that's what he did. Now it was a very conservative iconography, but um...
0: yeah, it's certainly the kind of movie where i when I watch it, I'm like, um, oh please, uh, the, the the John Cusack character, please <laughs> put put him on a different path. Maybe maybe this will be some kind of alternate universe where you know something good happens, and then you know somehow this guy can be saved or at least um, sort of stopped from doing everything that followed.
1: Yeah, well, um, the, the actors are very good in that film, I thought. Um, I thought Cusack was great. I thought Noah Taylor was great. Mm. You know, uh, you, 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 you understood him as a kind of ambitious artist. Of course, he was at some point.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you write a story like Max or many of the other movies that are um, you know, they, they have a historical setting. They are, they have political ideas like the siege, for example. Um, many of those stories are very serious, the color purple. And then you have something like uh, Indiana Jones, which is very much a comic book adventure. Um, what, what's the difference in, in the approach of writing these these stories?
1: You know, I, it's, it's, again, it's not as, it's not, uh, you know, I, I'm, I mean, Stephen is very, very good at taking material and then lightening it up, you know. So we were just trying to get a, you know, we were trying to get his interest, you know, because I mean, he, he, at that moment, he is beyond a doubt the hottest director in the world. Mm. And George wanted to get, you know, Indiana Jones three made. So we were, you know, just, Thinking. Okay, what's the most dynamic story? But what the thing that Stephen, of course, brings to it is that then he infuses it with his own magic. So that's much more a question for Stephen than than for me.
2: Mm, okay. You know,
1: I'm on my usual, you know, slightly historical, um, <clears throat> political, uh, Third Reich occult. Um, you know, let's go uh kind of thing and it's steven who then is able to turn that into pop culture
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and so i didn't sit down and say okay i have to write uh a comedy i you know i don't know very much about comedy obviously um <laughs> but I'm, i think that the thing about comedy is that it's very serious business
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, even though there's a, there's a line in Max, which was one of the biggest laughs for me in quite a while, which is where John Cusick says he's had a bad war. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there, you know, yes, I mean, you, you know, you, there, you, the, the absurdity, of course, was everywhere in, in mm-hmm. this, so you constantly could, you always need something It's back to George Miller saying drama for nothing. You always need something to bounce it off. It's like as if the story Mm -hmm. is like a ball and, or your idea is a ball and you want a wall that you throw it against and it comes back at you. Like he had a bad war, you know, or let me buy you a lemonade. Mm. Well, normally that's so what? But (laughs) in this, it became like almost the most famous line of the film. So, it, it allows you to make something new again. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so, at some point during the development of The Last Crusade, um, a- apparently George, and, uh, George Lucas and Steve Spielberg went to a different writer, Jeffrey Bohm. Um, so, uh, was that just because, um, you know, they, were, they wanted to try something new? Was that because you were disagreeing on something? Um, or did you go to yeah, other sure. projects?
1: We didn't really disagree. I had other projects. I went and uh, rewrote Empire of the Sun. Um, and, you know, it was just like, let's just go, let's go to Jeffrey Bohm And, you know, was it like, uh, did I, I didn't like, I didn't jump in the air with joy, but you know, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, I, I never, I never really thought I was um the person per excellence to write you know Indiana Jones in the first place. Mm-hmm. you know I mean, it was kind of like, okay, I'll try that kind of thing when you know when 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 they asked me and um, and I think I brought something to it. I got it started, mm-hmm. um, but you know it wasn't like. This is, you know, it, it's not like I, I sit around at home now and think, you know, about this kind of story. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in a way, it's an anomaly in your filmography. I mean, it has certain well, points of reference, like the, the setting, the historical setting, for example. Um, but still, compared to many of your other uh, stories, it's an anomaly. You're
1: absolutely right. You know, I mean, it, it's... it's, it's, it's you know you picked up on that very well you know it's got the crusades it's like so you know some historical references but yeah i mean it was just a kind of like okay let's try that. you know and we'll we we'll, we'll take it and you know what's fun is that you know it's it's not always so much fun to write something that you have your heart and soul into not that i didn't have my heart and soul into it into indiana jones because i tried it as hard as i do anything else it's, um, you know, it's in a way, it's relaxing to be more technical. Mm-hmm. You know, and one thing, of course, was that, that you have to understand what, about indie, which was their first idea, which they always held on to to some degree, is that, you know, it used to be that, you know, the serial would end with a cliffhanger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they, you know, they the cliffhanger into you know I don't know every seven scenes or something there would be a cliffhanger. you know everything was a cliffhanger i remember I remember seeing Indiana Jones and I was just starting to uh, work in Hollywood because I had written this uh, I had written the children's Crusade, which mm-hmm. you know was I mean I spent like a year writing it and you know and and it became quite a well-known script and and so on the back of that, I, I started, but I remember going to see Indiana Jones, the first one uh, in, the, in the cinema. And I thought to myself, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, they've reinvented this genre now. And, and then, you know, I remember walking into a producer's office. Um, I forget his name, uh, uh, David Walker, mm-hmm. named him. Really from the, <laughs> and he said, "Listen, I want you to write me." He had some crazy idea about some story in Tibet, and he says, "Now listen, gotta have a cliffhanger every like eight scenes." And I'm thinking, you know, this is this fucking Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, but it's but it's true, that kind of story and the structure of the story has influenced Hollywood so much, not just in terms of the adventure movies, um, because there actually haven't been that many stories that exactly copy the Indiana Jones formula, but just in terms of storytelling uh, the, the the way an action hero has to go through um at, at his adventure or his mission right? and, and it's just building up and building up and every time it's, it's, it's an even bigger cliffhanger and an even bigger cliffhanger. Um, I, I think that, well, that was one of the movies that changed Hollywood for, for years and decades.
1: Completely. You know, and Steven did a lot of movies that changed Hollywood. Jaws changed Hollywood. Yeah. E.T. changed Hollywood. Um, You know, and and it's also a kind of exuberance of, you know, technique. And because, and that's where people always tend to, they're just not as good as he is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's difficult. I mean, it's one thing to write a cliffhanger every, you know, eight scenes or something. It's another one to execute it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And he makes it seem very effortless.
1: Yeah, it takes time. It's a lot of setups. You know, you got to shoot it here. you got to shoot it there. It's expensive. You know, it, it, you, you quickly, a lot of filmmakers are quickly overwhelmed by the technical demands of that. You know, it's again, you know, there's a very, very large chapter in life called easy to say, difficult to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, man, that's you know, that falls in that chapter mm-hmm. and easy to write difficult to do, you know, it's easy to write, mm-hmm. but, but to actually sit there like he does and shoot it, you
0: know. So did you see the, the finished uh, Last Crusade movie then?
1: Yeah, of course I saw the finished Last Crusade movie. I walked into, I walked into, I think it was, uh, you know, it was in, I was in San Francisco, there was a theater on Van Avenue, I forget what it was called, and I remember, walking in i didn't have to i said you know I'd like in the credits and the guy goes oh yeah sure go take a look and you know i, I it was like a hot san francisco night and it was like I, probably a saturday night or a friday late show or something and i thought wow you know it's just unbelievable how that audience just reacted mm. you know, there were like events you know it wasn't like people just sitting there in a in a movie theater quiet Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, it was an event movie, you know. And you were—I was happy to have had played some part in it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I can't claim any more than than that. <laughs> but I do know. I mean, its, it's you know. I, yeah, I—I I, like I said. I think we, i i kind of lit the match. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think every story needs that sort of the um, the incident
1: in a way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so I'm kind of curious when, when I look at your career, um, I, I was talking to a friend yesterday and, and I told him that we were doing the interview. I told him a little bit about what you've done. Um, and he was very surprised to hear that you started out with Steven Spielberg movies and then after a a while you went to Europe and now you're making films in uh, the Netherlands and he said well usually it's the other way around. I said well Paul Verhoeven did the same thing but uh, yeah Yeah. I agree it's kind of unusual. Um, Yeah it is
1: unusual. Um, No you're you're right it is the other way around. It's like uh, when Adrian Brody um, won the Oscar and then became a senior model. I said Normally, you know, you become a Xenia model and then you win the Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, at a certain point, I really, you know, it's so, such a stupid cliche, but I just really, you know, felt like I wanted to, you know, I, I, I just figured I'd work with Stephen and that was such a great collaboration. And, you know, for a, for a couple of years, we just, everything seems to be so well calibrated between us and um, to then work with other directors in los angeles and you know and i i wanted to direct myself but i didn't want to direct i mean i i wouldn't know how to direct a, you know that kind of movie in a million years i know mm. i know how to direct uh, something like max but that's a you know um so you know, it's what I I wanted to do, but I, I actually is it was a kind of mysterious thing because it it wasn't like my career had gone down. I just kind of walked away from it. You know, mm-hmm. it was a kind of a Rimbodian moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I you know I once heard Paul Verhoeven you know because we were doing um, uh, sound at the same. He was doing the sound for Al, and I was doing the sound for Hedine at mm-hmm. uh um, at the same, uh, we were in post at the same place. I, you know, I was like somewhere else and he said, yeah, that guy, he, he just walked away, you know, from the whole thing. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know, I just kind of, I just felt I had done it to some degree. You know, I mean, I, I, I literally come to Los Angeles, you know sleeping on my then brother-in-law's floor and 12 years later i'm nominated for an oscar mm-hmm. I, I you know I, I was kind of i suppose i should have stuck around and you know but i'm still around so <laughs> uh
0: yeah i mean you're still making very interesting movies i saw um the reunion um oh, did you? the reunion yeah oh. Um, unfortunately, your, your, your uh, latest movies are very hard to find, um, yes. If, yes. if you don't live in the Netherlands. <laughs> yes. but, but yeah, I saw that one, um, I also found it very, very interesting. Also, again, in terms of the, the relationship between these two characters, very...
1: I'm so very glad you've liked it. You know, I shot that, I, that, was, that was a nightmare because I shot it, in, I, shot, I had to shoot it so quickly. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. I mean, you know, we are, you're, when you, there comes a point where you're shooting something so quickly, you don't even have time to really sit in the video village and look at the, at mm-hmm. the I mean You kind of have to see it as you're shooting it and go, yeah, we're moving on. But I really like the reunion. No, and have many? you seen Heddiné? Uh,
0: not yet, unfortunately.
1: You know, the, the producer is, we're about to do another film together. Uh, oh, okay. which is Mexican english uh, which is Macbeth in Jail. <laughs> okay. I think that's a very, uh, I, I was very happy with that film. Very uncompromising. Uh, you notice that moment where it was such a strange thing, if I may say, did you read the book?
0: Uh, no. I okay. just read the, the, the little synopsis of the story, but.
1: Nope. Yeah. Um, so, so the book is is you know he, he what he does is the author very cleverly is he presents this very kind of anarchistic character, who, and one of the most famous scenes is where he is in this restaurant and like we've all had this problem where you know you have this obsequious kind of waiter who tells you about this you know about the mushrooms that have come from Italy and and you know it's a joke it's a cliche mm-hmm. and. Uh, and this somehow or other really, you know, touched a chord with people in Holland and all over the world. But then the rest of the movie is about, you know, something very, very horrible and serious.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is,
1: um, I, I'm not going to spoil it for you, <laughs> but, you know, and you always sat there and you like, you know, you got everybody laughing. And then the movie turns. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, very difficult, and, and I think maybe almost an impossible thing to do. If you're gonna make it some kind of comedy, you should keep it as a comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never tried to make it as, um, but you know, for, to sort of have a movie that is funny and then turn is, is a difficult thing. And I would always mm-hmm. feel the audience go, oh, fuck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then I think to myself, yeah, but you've all read the fucking book you know you know what's happening here what how am i, am I gonna make that funny is that difficult to make that funny you know the, the thing that happens the horrible thing that it all turns on very difficult to make that into a comedy so but i i really like it so i'll i'll send that to you
0: mm-hmm. that sounds interesting and that's a very very difficult balance between you know making people laugh and then t- you know, making them uncomfortable or going into a darker direction and sort of sometimes people keep laughing in a, in a very Yeah, very uptight way because they think okay, this is still funny or supposed to be funny. I think <laughs> so it's very interesting to, to uh, See people's reactions to those kinds of movies.
1: Yeah, and and then I uh, you know, and then of course I, I made a completely uncompromising ending which drove everybody insane.